Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And if you're one of our patrons, this is your extended ad-free version of this week's show. But if you're not and would like to get the aforementioned extended ad-free versions of this week's show and indeed all previous extended versions... Uh, you can do so by heading to patreon.com forward slash UK tech and get instant access straight away. No waiting right away um, to the entire back catalogue. And uh, we are sans Morris this week because he's at home nursing a shoehorn related uh, injury to his leg. More on that next week. But uh, in his place is occasional co-host CNET's Mr. Andy Hoyle. Hey there. But thank you, Andy, for for being here. It's a it's a great uh, I'd say it's a great pleasure. I think "great" is too strong a word. Um, it's it's nice. It's nice you're, to have you. You're here. mostly, if not entirely, welcome. Yeah, exactly. And that's how I assume I will continue to feel throughout this show, which begins now. This week's O2 data network, or rather this week O2's data network, as is commonly how this sentence is read, decided not to get out of bed and instead it left millions of customers across the country without access to Instagram or Pornhub uh, and other services too. The blame landed at the door of telecoms equipment maker Ericsson, and even more specifically with a software failure within one of its product systems. Not only, though, did it bring down O2 services, it also dragged offline those of Tesco Mobile, Sky, GifGaff, and TalkTalk because they piggyback on the O2 network. Now, the problem started in the very early hours of Thursday. I think probably around 4 or 5 a.m., but they but they lasted until the the whole, basically the rest of that entire day. However, what interested me far, far, far more than just the fact that it happened or why it took so long to fix was how it impacted non-consumers. I was reporting on all of this for Bloomberg this week, and I, I spoke to a chap called Shane Bunnage. He's a personal fitness tra- trainer in Hertfordshire, and he said the in- the outage had a massive impact on his ability to run his company because all the work he does is mobile and outdoors. He does fitness training in fields and things like that. And he, he told me, I couldn't book clients in for classes, couldn't check memberships, take payments for personal training sessions, or even use Google Maps. And then, so that's that's one impact. Like, that's affecting someone's ability to use, like, a contactless card machine that tethers to their phone. But on a much bigger scale, um, the systems that are on board all London buses, of which there are knocking on 9,000, uh, they send live location data back to TfL, Transport for London, which is the uh, transport authority here, as well as third-party mapping services like City Mapper and Google Maps, Apple Maps, and things like that. They were all effectively knocked offline because the SIM cards that, uh, that the bus systems use only work with O2, as do the information screens at London's bus stops, which were unable to display any real-time updates on when the next bus is due like they normally do because the system, you know, relies also on O2. And if that wasn't uh, salt enough in the wound, um, the we have about 11,000, 12,000 uh, bikes that you can rent from a public bicycle service in, in, in London, the Boris bikes we call them, although they've not been... Uh, uh, associated with uh, with Boris or Barclays for quite a long time, uh, but they 
have a payment system that you have to use you know you can use contactless payments and things like that to 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 unlock one of these bikes for a bit but those payment systems also sent their communications over o2 so the only way you could rent a bike from one of these things uh, would be if you had a annual pass because you get like a little physical fob that just unlocks one i suppose you could steal one but uh, you know you could do that with a lot of things um now, by Friday, O2's network had been restored and the company said it'll offer credits and discounts to customers affected. But it leaves, I think, a really fascinating question uh, over whether having so much of uh, the UK's infrastructure relying on one company's data network is a great idea. Andy, what was, you, what was your experience with this? I assume as well that CNET being very much a consumer tech publication, this was something you were hearing quite a lot about this week. Yeah, I, I, I was reading a lot about this and keeping my eye on it because it's it was a a big deal. But like you, I was more fascinated with sort of the knock on effects with, as you say, with, with TFL. And I think it is almost shocking, and I would say shocking, because I don't think it's good that that TFL does have all its eggs in one basket like that. That it relies on O2 because these networks they do go up and they do go down, and and even even on a very like localized level, you can sort of be in a small area and there'll be a mass that has a fault and just needs restarting. And you can be, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour, maybe without a little bit of data. And you may not even notice, you may not use your phone at that time, but local services will notice that. And it, it seems baffling that so much of London's infrastructure is entirely tied to the one network. You would sort of think that in a situation like this, um, there would be an a, you know an arrangement an agreement where O2 could roam onto another network and have a have a have an agreement because there are other networks that have other services piggybacking on them and so presumably there's the, the, there's going to be a case where there's an outage uh, where where things need to work the other way and and that can be done you know you you can do that um, mm. obviously they didn't but it seems to me like it would have been an interesting way to address something like this yeah I, I think it's just that it surprises me i'd never really considered how the how the these systems work before i i i, I know if i'd really thought about it that obviously these buses have to have like their own sim cards for connectivity that is how they give their like live data but it never really occurred to me that they're probably using a commercial network like o2 i just think maybe i just assumed that they're on like their own network somehow that was more protected um, than a standard commercial network. Um, the thing to note, though, is that a lot of this this happened because um, the, the the network went out and it impacted people's ability to just you know rent a bike or or whatever. What it didn't cause is you know for buses to not know where they are I, I called up tfl actually in the week when i was reporting on this story and spoke to somebody there and they said that the buses themselves have a backup network they have a radio system so it's still possible for the buses to operate it's still possible for the uh the, the for tfl to know where the where the buses are and get in contact with drivers what it really also, the stops, drivers are humans like they still know where they are and they they and they operate on those routes they know that even if there were no networks, they could still drive that bus. It's not like the actual bus simply grinds to a halt. Yeah, but but that wasn't the case for some other people. So so another good example of what happened was uh, Deliveroo and Uber. And they have 
uh, you know, as many people know, they have uh, thousands of riders and drivers around cities who um, will use their app to take the request for a delivery from Deliveroo, go and pick it up from a restaurant and take it to uh, a customer who, who's ordered it from the Deliveroo app. And those people, they're not employed by Deliveroo. And that's a whole separate issue. And in fact, that was another story that uh, came out this week about whether they're entitled to, uh, to to benefit. So do look that up if you're interested in the ongoing saga there. But they rely on a mobile phone that is their phone and a data network. And so if that cyclist, that driver, is unable to get onto a data network, they cannot accept new jobs. And in fact, Deliveroo's app, I saw on Thursday, said that deliveries may be taking a lot longer than normal because of an error with a, with a network. So it had a direct knock-on uh, impact on that. I actually ordered uh, on Thursday, I ordered a, uh, a Deliveroo lunch fish and chips, uh, had delivered to my office so I could talk to the delivery guy about uh, the issue and whether any of his uh, friends in Deliveroo had uh, had experienced this. Uh, but Is it that just that a really cunning way of, of expensing your lunch? Yes. However, it got worse because the um, uh, the driver didn't speak any English. So he didn't even know what I meant when I asked him, are you on O2? Um, which is a shame. However, my lunch was delicious. That's so, um, yeah. So, um, you know. Has O2 said anything about um, the amounts that it's going to be paying back to customers in, in like these refunds and deals? Because if it's talking about potentially having to reimburse companies relying on its network, then that could be an extremely big bill that O2... Um, could potentially be having to foot, despite the fact that it was actually a problem further down the, the chain um, with er- Ericsson's level. It wasn't O2's fault, um, but O2 is the one who's, you know, the customer-facing company. So it's going to have problems there. Yeah, I mean, there is, there's a couple of answers to this. I mean, one, f- for a pure consumer level, they've offered an apology. They've offered, I think, pay-as-you-go customers are going to get a 10% credit when they when they top up in the new year um i think if you're a mo- if you had a mobile broadband dongle you get a discount as well on on topping stuff up um and i think if you are pay monthly you're going to get like two days worth of free usage um so mm. that that's on that side um i actually called up the one of the ombudsman uh service uh, companies where you can go to if you're a say a small a small company or a sole trader and said to them look like if if you were somebody like the fitness uh, individual I, I quoted earlier who may have lost money lost business because of this you know can they actually go to an ombudsman and, and demand some kind of uh uh, grievance or 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 um or money as, as compensation and they said that technically they could uh, as long as you have 10 employees or fewer but you would have to go through o2 first in order to make the the complaint and offer o2 the chance to uh, to make this up um but what's also interesting is that if you look in the small print of of all of these service contracts they're all cons- consumer contracts so there are provisions in there that does say from time to time there will be outages. So O2 technically isn't in breach of uh, a lot of these contracts and they can offer a goodwill gesture for PR reasons. Yeah. Um, but it's it's essentially just this happens from time to time and, you know, suck it up. Well, I was keeping my eye on this throughout the day. There's been There were some really interesting tweets. One came out from at SH Vocal Coach says... 
While we feel like our world has ended with the temporary issues at O2, I would love for all of us to use it as a reason to go for a lovely walk in nature, looking up at the world rather than down into our phones. Aw. Nice. I thought that was quite nice. Um, at MinkyXX said, Not happy with you, O2. Data has been down all day whilst at my lunch break today I couldn't use my phone, so I was forced to pick up a book someone had left in the staff room and start reading it. You better sort it. I'm not a fan of John Grisham. At Starkid underscore Sparrow said, Hour 356837 of O2 being down. I've been forced to speak to people in person, as in face-to-face, eye contact. It's chilling. At with Chris W says, Hello, O2. I think it's unacceptable that I've been forced to talk to my family, friends, and co workers while my data has been down. I think they're right. The poor guys. It's, it's difficult being in that, in that scenario, and I do feel for them. I do. I mean, having to talk to your brother is just an awful, awful thing to have to do. I can't imagine doing that. Imagine having to podcast with, with, with your brother. I know. I, I pity Ugh. anyone, fool or otherwise, who is put in that situation. Um, if you were put in that situation or have any other opinions on the aforementioned situation, then do let us know. Hello at techpodcast.uk. What did you do when the lights went out slash O2's data network went off? The Information Watchdog has launched a formal investigation into the police use of facial recognition technology following trials across the country. This is according to the Daily Telegraph this week. Uh, The paper wrote that Information Commissioner Elizabeth Denham opened the inquiry after expressing, quote, significant concern over the, the legality and effectiveness of the technology, which uh, was used at last year's Notting Hill Carnival and Remembrance Sunday. Earlier this year, Denham threatened to launch legal action against the Home Office and the National Police Chiefs Council over concerns relating to the intrusive nature of the technology, which, for those of you who uh, are unfamiliar, uses artificial intelligence to identify potential troublemakers by scanning thousands of people's faces uh, recorded elsewhere in the country on surveillance cameras. Uh, She actually wrote a blog earlier this year, and in it she said, How facial recognition technology is used in public spaces can be particularly intrusive. It's a real step change in the way law-abiding people are monitored as they go about their daily lives. And this is a topic we've talked about on the show multiple times in the past, and there have been legal challenges against the use of automated facial recognition technology, or AFR. Um, And uh, one of the challenges was launched by a civil liberties group earlier this year called Big Brother Watch, who argued that the use of AFR actually breached uh, the rights of individuals under the Human Rights Act. and I, when I was researching this story a bit more, I wanted to try and find, you know, what's what's the example of where this, you know, potentially could go to realistically? Where could this go to that maybe having the information commissioner step in now and, and, and demand a review uh, could prevent us getting there? And actually, if you look over at China, and I say that in the in the hypothetical sense, the figurative sense, because looking at China is extremely difficult from London, uh, unless you're very high up. Um, there was a uh, there was a story in the New York Times in the summer that described the situation out there. It said, in some cities, cameras scan train stations for China's most wanted. There are billboard-sized displays showing the faces of jaywalkers, and I think that means people who walk in the road, and list the names of people who don't pay their debts. Facial recognition scanners guard the entrances to housing complex, and already, apparently, China has an estimated 200 million surveillance cameras that's four times as many as as uh, 
as the US. And I suppose fair enough because the population's four times as much as the US, very roughly speaking. Uh, but nonetheless, it's an enormous uh, number. Now, we're not debating the politics of East Asian states here or surveillance, but if that is one of the way ways that the UK is heading, then Andy, I, I suppose, um, I mean, at, le- at least in favour of a regulatory body keeping an eye on it and making sure that it's progressing in the right way and there's the right sort of checks and balances in place. What would you think? Absolutely, yeah. There needs to be that body in place from the beginning who is making sure that it is actually this scanning is being used in the right way, the data is being handled in the right way and that privacies aren't being invaded. And it would be better to have those regulations in place from the beginning rather than getting to the point where it's already gone too far and we're then having to rein it in um, to protect people um having billboards with people's faces splashed over them who've done things i i, I don't i agree with as you said we don't want to go into the the politics of, of um china surveillance um but i i don't think that's something that we are likely to see here this this is a topic that we've 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 covered in 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 detail quite a lot in in the past i'm broadly in favor of uh, having an eye kept on it if you'll pardon the moderate pun there um so we'll keep our well we'll continue to keep our eye on it um any additional thoughts on the matter of course let us know hello at techpodcast.uk you're listening to Text Message with Nate Langson. Do you have someone sitting next to you? Yes? Why not tell them about the show? You never know. Your new best friend and our newest listener could be just an awkward conversation away. BT's mobile network arm EE will launch what is expected to be the first 5G smartphone on UK networks early next year after signing a deal with China's OnePlus for its upcoming 5G phone. Uh, This was according to The Telegraph this week. Some good reporting apparently coming out of The Telegraph this week. Um, That news follows reports that Apple won't launch a 5G-capable iPhone until 2020. Uh, Samsung's already confirmed that it is working on its own 5G smartphone, as has Huawei, though we haven't got release dates for those now, we've talked on the show before that EE is planning to launch uh, the next-gen wireless tech next year in about 16 cities, we think. Um, but it, So it looks now like, if all that goes to plan, the best way to get aboard Britain's 5G tray next year will be by uh, uh, buying a OnePlus device on EE. Um, and she's speaking to The Telegraph, the chief executive of OnePlus, Peter Lau, said the company would release the phone in the first half of next year, although the model would be apparently significantly more expensive than the current £450 devices it sells. And we also know that EE, of course, is going to charge more for 4G, so we're not going over that again this week. But it looks like it's happening, Andy. It's happening. Yeah. It's it's going to be an expensive phone. It'll be on EE, but it will be in the first six months of next year in Britain. I'm yeah. quite excited. Yeah, me too. I think this is this is particularly interesting, purely on the fact that it's OnePlus, which is going to be the first phone to come out with a 5G handset. OnePlus, as as most of us will probably know, is a company that has uh, really based its entire business model on being um, affordable and decent, like. Not they're not challenging the 
complete top end models but they are near enough up there with them with in the power stakes and screen size and resolution um but they're usually several hundred pounds less than a, than um, any other flagship from samsung or apple so they're uh, seen as a much more affordable brand so going in with being the first to market with this top end tech and with a top end price to match is very unusual um, for them this is the sort of move we'd expect to see from someone like huawei or samsung um so i, I think that's very interesting purely because of the fact that it's oneplus doing this in terms of 5g itself obviously we we all knew it's going to be more expensive and the phone will be more expensive that's a given that's the same with any new technology like that it was the same with 4g and as 4G has done, we will eventually see 5G come down to become a more affordable um, service um, in the following years. Um, but I think it is exciting. But it's, again, and I think we've we've covered this quite a lot on the show. I know that me and you have talked about this specifically, in that it's not just about 5G being oh, is now everything is going to be faster and better for you. It's not the case that you suddenly have everything is better on your phone. Um, 5G a lot of the benefits is going to be around um, higher bandwidth for more Internet of Things devices, potentially for um, more rural connectivity, that kind of thing. So it's not just about faster data speeds on your phone. So, so tell me a bit about OnePlus. Seeing... I mean, I've never used a OnePlus phone. I mean, are they are they actually decent? I mean, if this is going to be one of the first 5G phones that we have access to, mm-hmm. is that a good thing? I mean, I remember just as a, before you answer, when 3G first launched, I was apparently the first person in Derbyshire to get a contract on a 3G phone. And the phone was an NEC flip clamshell type device, and it had two chargers in the box because the battery was so bad. And <laughs> actually, that is not what I think the first 3G experience should have felt like. It was expensive and pointless. So I'm kind of worried that 5G has the potential to, to you know, to do that again if the phone that comes out of the gate first isn't actually the kind of thing that people are expecting or wanting. Well, I mean, OnePlus phones are very good. Like they are, as I say, they they are not particularly exciting in the sense of they are not usually the ones who are pushing brand new technology. This is a company that um, is almost picking up uh, what Google did with its original Nexus line, i.e. It's a phone which on paper is is pretty much up there with the with the major flagships, but it's charging less for them. And they they are great phones. They're currently on the OnePlus 6T. Um that looks great. It's got a great screen. It's it's very powerful. Um the camera isn't as good as you'll find on like Huawei's P20 Pro or the iPhone, but it's it's decent enough. But crucially the phone is I think about three or four hundred pounds less than its equivalent from a major brand so i just find it interesting that they are the ones who are going to be coming out with this first and it may just be that they've been pushing this purely for the marketing purposes of saying they were first with this um but it doesn't really kind of fit in with their usual um, business model but i think this is a phone that's perfectly good you you should be excited about it on this phone as you would with any other phone um as we also know know most flagship phones tend to all be basically the same they're basically the same size they've all got more than enough power than you'll likely ever need and they all look pretty much the same so who cares like be excited about 5g more than the phone that's that's damning a damning conclusion there from from andy hoyle um okay 
Good. Well, uh, I'm ex- I will remain excited then. You can't see it, but I'm actually perched on the edge of my seat right now, and I think that partly that's to do with um, with uh, with the excitement that you've you've left me with. It, uh, much, it's much more broadly to do with the fact that I just didn't sit down properly in the first place, and I didn't want to move yeah, the chair. To, yeah. Exactly. I, however, am leaning fully back in my chair, holding my microphone nearer to my face, and drinking deeply from a cup of tea. You're used to hearing the smooth, velvet sound of Nate's voice, drizzled over your ears like a warm eardrum syrup, topped off with the freshly squeezed citrus tang of an Ian Morris opinion. Supporters of the show at patreon.com forward slash UK tech enjoy second helpings every week. So pull up a chair, find your nearest spoon, and tuck into a sumptuous extra helping with no commitment. If you have any allergies, please inform a waiter. Well, we're going to do something a little bit uh, different this week. We had last week uh, a very long conversation about the US electric scooter company Lime launching in Milton Keynes. And one of the questions that I asked the listeners for uh, to do is um, if you are in Milton Keynes or travel to Milton Keynes and you fancy taking one of these new electric bikes out for the very first time to see what it's like and record your experience, then please feel incredibly encouraged to do so. And I'm very pleased to say that somebody has stepped up to that and has in Milton Keynes, taken one of Lime's new electric bikes and recorded their experiences. Um, This is Roy Martha, and he is a podcaster in Milton Keynes. And in fact, he has a um, a very interesting, interestingly named podcast called Captain's Roy, Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show um, at RoyMartha.com. And um, here's a, a little bit of Roy's adventures in Milton Keynes, unlocking the bike and seeing what it's like. Yeah, I'm feeling the boost. <laughs> oh, something's happening. Uh, what this thing is? Uh, Wee! Oh, I'm wet. Oh, actually. It's fun. It is heavy, but the electrical assist really seems to be pushing this thing along. So, yeah, not bad. Let's see what the turning circle is like, because I've come to a ginormous dead end. (laughs) It's great going uphill. Ah, I feel like a right doing this in the rain. Man, there's going to be a lot of bleeping out on this, and my hands are absolutely freezing. I think for a very unfit man like me, this is probably a good bike to to use. Uh, The pedal assist is pretty good. For someone as unfit as I am, seems to work well. Seems to keep your cadence fairly constant and easy but so what did i find good about the experience well the app was easy to set up for the user and the ride experience itself was quite good let's talk about some negatives the bikes were parked in the open and 
That means they'll get wet, and who wants a wet bum, as you heard me complain about constantly. This is England, we have rain. To be fair, this also applies to Satander's docked bikes, and any open-to-the-elements vehicle. But roofs, people, roofs. Well, thank you so much to Roy Martha there for taking the time to uh, to record his experience on a Lime electric scooter. Um, he does do a podcast. Uh, please do go and listen to it. In fact, he's got a longer version of what you just heard if uh, you want to hear a little bit more at RoyMartha.com. We can include, well, we will be including a link to that uh, in the show notes at techpodcast.uk and it should be in the MP3 uh, description as well. And That's very good a- of you. Well, I mean, if somebody takes the effort to go out and, and pay some money to rent a bike and then record it and send the recording to us to use on the show, I think the least I can do is say, go and listen to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio show. You keep and, saying uh, the word bike, but you started with scooter. Which is it? It's a bike, because Lime launched bikes here because um, if you'd have bothered to listen to the show, of course, Andy, you would know that the scooters aren't legal here. I, I mean, I have listened to the show because we talked about that before. Yeah, well, anyway. that's true. Thank you very much, Roy, for that. Um, and um, yeah, any more experiences, do let us know. And if you have access to an electric bicycle and would like to record something, do so. Or indeed, just record anything and send it to us. We do our best, Ian and I, when it's him and I, uh, and Andy and I, when it is like this week, him and I. To keep you up to date with all the interesting insights on the United Kingdom's technology scene, but we're not alone in this big world of tech podcasting. Tom Merritt is out there in the cosmos helping us understand the wider world of tech. Tom, what has been happening in that wider world this week? Hey, thanks. This week on DTNS, we looked into the latest on 5G as service launches in Korea and Samsung showed off some 5G phones. We discussed the impact for developer income of Epic Games' decision to offer an 88% revenue share to developers in its new game store. Discussed the race between the Netherlands, Arizona, and others to be the first place with commercial driverless car services, and so much more. You can find it all at dailytechnewsshow.com. Thank you very much. Tom Merritt's dailytechnewsshow.com. Uh, if you're actually hungry for a bit more global tech content, then uh, I was actually on This Week in Tech last weekend with Leo Laporte. If you want to hear two and a half hours of me talking about a very wide range of topics, then you can do that. I don't know which episode it was. Just look for the one that's got my face in the thumbnail. It's a good sign. Um, and also, if you're one of our patrons, thank you very much for being one of our patrons. This week, in the extended version of the show, we had a fascinating conversation about the new Palm phone and whether phones that are uh, small are the new big thing. Wonderfully ironic. Uh, that's there on the ad-free extended version of the show if you're one of our patrons. And you can become one, get instant access to that by going to patreon.com forward slash UK Tech. Thank you to everybody supporting us there or listening on our free feed and leaving us reviews in iTunes and telling your friends. Might sound like we just say that as an afterthought, being that that that's as good a way to support us as any other. But without people listening to our free feed and discovering the show for the first time, we don't have an audience. So thank you in whatever way uh, you are supporting us. And Andy, thank you very much. Andy Hoyle from CNET.com for being here. What's been floating your boats, raising your flagpole, whatever metaphor uh, this week? 
Um, I actually really enjoyed. Um, it's that time of year when Spotify puts out their um, like your 2018 unwrapped, they call it, where they give you all the um, breakdown of of how you've been listening to uh, to music and what your top artists are, how long you spent listening to them, and chatting with people about them finding out a bit more about their own listening habits. Um, I wonder if you've been surprised by who you've listened to on Spotify. I know you're not a big Spotify user, but you do use it a bit. I don't really use it at all. I use it in order to create playlists for you or or get playlists from you. Uh, That's literally the only thing I use Spotify for. Not because I've got anything against it. It's just that I'm an Apple Music subscriber. That's a shame. But it, it, it tells me that I've spent 18,294 minutes listening to Spotify um, this year, which is pretty intense. Uh, Periphery is my uh, favorite artist. I've spent over 30 hours listening to Periphery. Wow. Um, in fact, Periphery, uh, all the top albums um, of this year are Periphery albums. Um, other top artists, Periphery, Pendulum, Nothing But Thieves, Tesseract, and Taylor Swift are my top artists of the year. Um, she's a good company. Well, that's uh, that's great. I mean, normally people say, here's a story I've written, or go and listen to my podcast or something. No, but, but instead- I think this would encourage people to find this out themselves, if they're Spotify users, and probably, I mean, I'd encourage people to talk to you about it and say what's yeah. interesting because i think these are good and it, it's a really nice thing that they do to sort of put give you this data at the end of the year because they also then create uh, you get then get a playlist of your top of 2018 um songs which uh, you can i find very helpful to jump into and listen because i know that these are songs that i love anyway other things i've been doing this week um my I have a big, big feature that's just gone live when I took a um, VW campervan um, 2,600 miles all around Europe to find out what it really is like to live that hashtag van life dream, Um, the thrills and the spills. It was an amazing trip, and I would encourage you to uh, find the article. It's currently my pinned tweet on Twitter, so if you just go to um, twitter.com slash batteryhq, you will find my tweet there um, and you'll be able to go and have a look at that story. And there are obviously tons of images in it because that's what I do. Um, But I'm very proud of that um, feature and the video that's in there as well. Um, So do go and have a look. Yeah, definitely do watch that video. Um, I mean, I haven't, but... No, I I know you haven't because I've been waiting for you to tell me what you think of it. I haven't watched it. I'm sorry. I know, you Um, shouldn't I I do encourage other people to do so and I'm sure I will at some point later today or, or in the week or or just next month whenever andy reminds me about it uh, but generally speaking anything andy does uh, ends up being very very good and better than things that i do so uh, i would say if you like this show go and watch andy's video because it's it's uh, arguably uh, probably at least as good as um but thanks very much andy seriously uh, for being on the show it's great to have you with us and andy does the cnet uk podcast as well at cnet.com so uh, do check that out as well uh, and for everybody else We'll see you next week. Toodle pip. You've been listening to Text Message with your host, Nate Langson. If you get value from the show, please consider joining our many supporters on Patreon. You can get access to a version of the show every week with no ads and as much as 40% more discussion every time. There's no obligation, so why not try a month by going to patreon.com forward slash UK tech or looking for the link in this episode's description. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.